Welcome back to the last night of revival meetings. It's good to be here again to worship the Lord. You know, I remember it wasn't too long ago that we had Richard Herr in our area and he was having a panel discussion on revival meetings. And he said, well, we used to do two weeks. <laughs> We'd have one week of evangelistic meetings and one week of revival meetings. <laughs> that looks pretty long, two weeks. So I think I'll go home tonight. <laughs> but thank you so much for your hospitality and your kindness. It means so much to go to another community and find people who are serving the Lord. And you know, you all know that I'm not an angel, yet you entertain me pretty good. You know, and, and so God bless you for doing that. It's a wonderful privilege to get to know you all um, just a little bit. Didn't know hardly any of you to start, so it's good to know some names, some faces, and I just pray that the Lord will bless you this year. You know, spring is right around the corner, brings energy and life into the world, and let it be the same way for you in your spiritual walk with God. Find new vigor and vitality in your life in serving Jesus. And so God bless you, and I, I wish the Lord's blessing on the peak congregation here in the coming days and months and, and years. Well, we have one last word for the children this evening. I've written it up here. Do we have any volunteers to help us say this word and tell us what it means? Just speak up if I don't see you. Anybody? It was so easy tonight, you didn't bother to check it out, did you? <laughs> yes. Yes. And you know, I put that up here. Most of you know what this word means, but do you know how to say it? It's kind of a tongue twister. You know, we, we get all kinds, sometimes people say sepulcher, but it's sepulcher. And it's used about 64 times in the Bible, and um, it simply means a grave. And, of course, one of the most outstanding times is when Jesus was crucified, and Joseph of Arimathea had this grave for himself, I guess, carved out of stone. Matthew 15, 46, And he brought fine linen and took him down and wrapped him in the linen and laid him in a sepulcher which was hewn out of a rock and rolled a stone unto the door of the sepulcher. And there's some connotation for that word sepulcher. But you know what the good news tonight is about a sepulcher? It doesn't stop Jesus. All the stone in the world, the, the largest hewn out grave you could find, doesn't contain our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And do we believe tonight that he's alive? He's alive, and he's coming back. I want to turn to Second Peter Three tonight for meditation. The title of the message is The Day of the Lord Will Come. And it wasn't a long ago I preached the whole book of Second Peter. And you almost have to preach the whole book to know, to get the beginning to the end. But we'll try to fill you in. Of course, in the first chapter of Second Peter, he's talking about make your calling and election sure. Know that you are saved. Look at your life. Understand it. Are you saved? Are you not? Make your calling and election sure. 
And then in chapter 2, he goes into a lengthy dissertation about false prophets. And he has no shortage of harsh words for false prophets. And I, I had, it was a delight to study chapter 2, not because of what it's saying, but because of what Peter, how Peter wrote about false prophets and his distinct disdain for them. <laughs> and how that we should be looking out for these false prophets. And in the days in which we live, we certainly need to be aware of these false teachers. And then we come to chapter 3, which is what we want to look at tonight. And I guess I'll just read the whole chapter here at this time. This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets, and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was, being overflowed with water, perished. But the heavens and the earth, which are now, by the same word are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is longsuffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come, as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat? Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent, that ye may be found of him in peace, without spot and blameless. And account that the longsuffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you. As also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these sayings, in which are some heart things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also other scriptures, unto their own destruction. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware, lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. But grow in grace, and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to him be glory, both now and forever. Amen. And we want to look at this entire chapter tonight, and so I know it's just going to be Leon Miller's commentary on 2 Peter chapter 3. <laughs> but we want to learn some things from this chapter. In the first couple verses here, in verses 1 through 4, he says, I am stirring up your mind. I'm stirring up your pure minds by way of remembrance. And why? That ye might be mindful of the word. You know, sometimes we need to be reminded so that we can be mindful. And that, that word mindful means conscience. We talked earlier in the week about being God-conscious. That's what Peter's trying to do here. 
We need to be mindful of the words of truth which have been spoken of old. You know, we can know a lot of things, but we're not always conscious of them, are we? You know, you can know what the speed limit is on your road. You're not always conscious of it, are you? That is until you see the red and blue lights come on. And that's what we're going to do here tonight. These are the red and blue lights tonight. The day of the Lord will come. I'm stirring up your minds to a consciousness of the Lord's return. You know, after lecturing in chapter 2 on all these errors of false teachers, Peter has, has a change of direction here for his, his writing. He's saying, this is all the false teachers, all of what they're going to say and do. But I want to stir up your minds to be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles. This is the first time in the Bible, I believe, where we are commanded or it holds the words of the apostles on the same level as the words of the Old Testament writers. I believe it's the first time in, in Scripture. But why? Because there are false teachers in the world we're living in. We are to be mindful of the truth that is in the Scripture. Are you grounded in the truth tonight? How much effort are you putting in knowing the truth? And why is it so important to know the truth? Well, he moves on and says, there are going to come scoffers in the last days. That's why it's important you know the truth. There will come scoffers. He says, know this first. It's the first thing he wants to tell us. That there will come scoffers in the last days. What are the last days? Are they today? Are they now? I think we are living in the last days. We are living in the last days. And there are scoffers and these, these deriders, these false prophets. They laugh and speak about the gospel. They don't care. They say they make a mockery of, of sin and salvation. They mock righteousness and holiness as a better than thou attitude. They're scoffers. They're deriders. They don't care about the gospel. They don't care about the Lord's return. That's not who we want to be tonight, is it? We don't want to be a scoffer. And it says here the scoffers walk after their own lusts. And you know why they walk after their own lusts? Because after you've intellectually and morally rebelled against the knowledge of God, you're left with your own lusts to walk after. And Peter's saying, beware. They're scoffers in the last days. You want to know what the truth is? Look at their walk. And you will know if they are a scoffer or not. You know, what we believe tonight about the Lord's return affects the way we live. Do we believe that tonight? That if we believe Jesus is coming back, that he's burst through those, that tomb, that sepulcher, and he's coming back, how will you live your life? It's a sanctifying influence on our life, isn't it? To know that Jesus Christ is coming back. But not for the scoffer. They ask this question, where is he at? Well, since our fathers died, you know, nothing's happened. Nobody's come back. Where is he at? You know, it's a favorite trick of the devil. The passing of time dulls our memories, makes us become complacent, and we can say in our hearts, well, he hasn't come back. And some of you older ones here could look back and say, well, in the 50s, Jesus didn't come. 60s, nothing happened. 70s, goodbye. The 80s, the 90s. And here we are in the new millennium. And he's not here. Jesus has not come back. 
The day of the Lord has not come. Where is his appearing? Where is his coming? Do we dare to ask that question? Or is that the question of a scoffer? And I think tonight it is. It's the question of a scoffer who does not believe, who's mocking the word of the Lord when he says, I will return. You know, we live in a world that is consumed with instant gratification. We don't know a whole lot about waiting today, do we? <laughs> you know, I can tell you at about 7.45 in the morning past my shop, there's not a lot of people who know about waiting when it comes to the stoplights and the traffic. And you know, we live in a world of, of, of Amazon and we order and it comes next day or it comes two days and we can just get all these things instantly. Do you remember the old mail order catalogs? I just filled a mail order catalog out recently. It was an Amish business. And I thought, well, I haven't done this in a long time. <laughs> Got out my pencil and started marking in all the line items, calculate the shipping, write it down. Then you wait about six weeks for the stuff to come. Instant gratification is the world we live in. Do we have the patience to wait for Jesus' return? Do we have the patience to wait for Jesus' return? Or, or are we going to say, all things continue as they were from the beginning? You know, we need to stir up our minds to be conscious of the Lord's return because it's hard to wait this long and retain our excitement and our anticipation of the Lord's return. Because we as humans become complacent, we become dull in our memory, and we forget. So do not let the passing of time convince you that the Lord will not come back. They ask the question, where is the promise? Well, do we know where the promise is tonight of his coming? Do we know, know where to find it? I'll just read a few verses. In John 14, we know the occasion. John told his disciples that he's going to prepare a place. And if he's going to do that, he's going to come again and take his, his disciples back to that place, receive them unto himself. In Mark 14, verse 61, the high priest asked him there and said unto him, Art thou the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And ye shall see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. There it is from his mouth again. I'm coming back. I'm coming back. And then, of course, we have at his departure there in Acts 1. And I won't read the whole, the whole thing there, but it... He, and when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you've seen him go up into heaven. Where is the promise of his coming? There's the promise of his coming. Jesus said it himself, and he had heavenly affirmation from the angels that he's coming back. The day of the Lord will come. So what is the problem with the scoffer? Well, Peter goes on here in verse 5 to describe them. The issue with the scoffer is that they don't, it's not that they don't know the truth. And it says here that they are willingly ignorant of the truth. They were willingly had shut their ears to it. And they were willingly ignorant of the power of the word of God. And we, we spoke about that earlier in the week. And I like how Peter says this here. They are willingly are ignorant of that by the word of God. He spoke. And the world came into existence. Okay. That's the word of God. And then he goes on to say. That by the same word. God covered the earth with water. 
and destroyed the sinfulness of man. The same word of God. The scoffers believe that the world we live in was always the way it is. And that's not true. The heavens and the earth emerged at some point in time. And then many years later, the world was destroyed in the flood. It says the fountains of the deep were broken up. And why am I telling you that? That's because I believe that by the same word of God, it says here, that is reserving this world today to be burned with fire. And do we believe tonight that this same word has the ability to radically change the earth like it had in the past? That's what Peter's writing here. You scoffers don't want to believe that the earth had undergone lots of transformations? It's the same word of God that is keeping this world in store for judgment. And we must be ready in anticipating that day. God can and still will intervene in an unchanging world, in a seemingly unchanging world. And the word of God is just as sure today as it was in the days of Noah. When he told that man to go out and build a boat, and it had never rained, and he worked on it for decades. How much faith do we have in the word of God? How much faith did Noah have in the word of God? The heavens and earth today are reserved for fire and judgment. And the perdition of ungodly men, these scoffers, it will be a terrible judgment, I believe, when the day of the Lord will come. And I believe it will be a, the earth will be changed in a dramatic way. And I'm not going to get into all that tonight. 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 6 says, Seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. And to you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God, and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. My friends, tonight, if you are here tonight and you know not God, you better get ready to meet the Lord when he comes back. Because it says here that in flaming fire he will take vengeance on them that know not God. And it is certain, by the word of God, it will happen. The day of the Lord will come. It's just as certain as the real world we experience around us. Because the same word of God brought that reality into existence. You know, one thing we need to understand as Christians is that the intangible is just as certain as the tangible. And the invisible is just as certain as the visible. It's a principle of faith that we have. And when we're looking at the day of the Lord, we need to have that principle of faith in the Lord's return. There is a certainty that he will come. Verses 8 and 9 here. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing. And so Peter emphasized an extreme point here where he says the heavens and the earth will melt away. But beloved, there's one thing. I've got to tell you one thing about the Lord. And that is that one day is like a thousand years. And so while the scoffers look and say, where is his coming? We as a Christian people got to figure out God's timekeeping. <laughs> if you may call it that. One day is with the Lord as a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. Be not ignorant, he says, of this fact. You know, God doesn't do time like we do, does he? God doesn't do time like we do, and how could he? How could God count time like we do? 
What is considered a short time in light of eternity? What is considered a long time in light of eternity? What are the last days in the span of eternity? And what is our lifetime in light of eternity? You know, with God, the past, the present, and the future are all one. The Bible says that God inhabits eternity. Can you get your mind around that? God inhabits all of eternity. Of course one day is a thousand years with him. He doesn't count time like we do. He's beyond time. He surrounds time. He created time. And so the scoffer says, well, God is a slacker. He's not coming back. Peter says, some, man, some men count it slackness. What is the Lord waiting on? What is the Lord waiting on? I think verse 9 in this chapter is the pinnacle verse in this chapter. The long-suffering heart of God. It says, the Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some men count slackness. But is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And we can look at the world around us and we can say, why, God, do you put up with the nonsense that is going on? Why do you put up with the vile wretchedness of humanity in this country we live in? And maybe sometimes we can look at our own life and say, why does God put up with us? Why doesn't he just wipe the earth clean? like he did in the days of Noah. He's given you time to repent. He's given you time to repent. He is not willing that any should perish. And if you look at verse 15, it says, the long-suffering of the Lord is our salvation. What a great encouragement it is for us to know that every day we wake up is simply because God has patience with me. It helps you look a little different at life, doesn't it? That every day that we have on this earth, God is sparing someone's soul from judgment. And I think it's a glorious window into the heart of God. I mean, he's an almighty God, way above mankind. But in his heart, he gives us time. It's a great love for his creation. It's a great love for humanity that causes him to wait. And it says here that he desires our souls He's waiting for our soul. You know, we can long for his coming back, but it's wonderful to know that time continues on just because he hasn't forgotten about us. And so the message today is repent while you have the time. Repent while the Lord is slack, you might say. There is no delay with the, with the Lord. In, ver in the very next verse it says, but the day of the Lord will come. And so Peter briefly says, God's not counting time like you. And then he comes right back to it and says, the day of the Lord will come. Today is the day of repentance. Because now he has not come yet. In this moment, in this hour, he has not come just yet. But the day of the Lord will come. And how will it come? Like a thief in the night. Like it's, it's interesting to me how he, he combines these word pictures here because the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night and then it says the heaven will pass away with great noise. 
Now, a thief comes in the night, not with great noise. What he's talking about here is that it will be unexpected. That we will not know the time. And yes, Jesus coming back is coming back at an unexpected hour, but it's not because we aren't expecting him. Jesus will come back at an unexpected hour, but not because we aren't expecting him. I believe we should be expecting Jesus any time. You know, some evenings I look out, see the clouds, and I see a cloud, and I thought, you know, that'd be a good one for Jesus to come back through. I, maybe you do this too, I don't know. One of those big, fluffy, cumulus clouds with a nice sunset, that's kind of our idea of how Jesus is going to come back, isn't it? But we need to be thinking of it. We need our minds stirred up to a remembrance of this. A consciousness that Jesus is coming back like a thief in the night. You know, we had a family in our, relatively close in our community. And if I got the details right, they had something in their oven. And somebody came in their house and took whatever was in their oven out and left again. And they didn't know it. You know, you ask, how could that, how could that happen? But Jesus is coming back like a thief in the night. And we need to be ready, unexpected. Will we be surprised at his coming? Will the Christian be surprised at his coming? I don't know if I know the answer to that. We will be surprised at the glory, I believe, and the power. But I think we should have an expectation that there is our Lord. He's coming back. And he says here, with great noise... The heavens will shall pass away with great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also, and the works that are therein, shall be burned up. You know, people are awful concerned about global warming these days. But this is the global warming you should be worried about, right here. And I don't know how the Lord's going to do it. We could go to Revelation 20, and we could look at some details of how the Lord, is the earth going to be totally consumed, or is it just going to burn everything off the face of I do not know. But this is the global warming we need to be worried about. And I believe it's a complete transformation of whatever's on the face of this earth. It's burnt up. It's done away with. Nothing can withstand the fervent heat when the day of the Lord has come. And I think we need to, to keep our eyes looking up. And then verse 11, he says, Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved. And what Peter's pointing out here is that because of this, your worldview is going to change. Your outlook on life should be changed. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be? You know, when we look at this, this verse and we see that the day of the Lord will come and the earth will dissolve, I believe we are motivated to live a holy life. It says here, in all holy conversation and godliness. You know, there is something about pending judgment that sanctifies your life. <laughs> There's something about pending judgment that calls us to a holy behavior. The coming judgment of God is a warning to live rightly, to get right with God. And yes, he called us in chapter 1 of this, this book to make our calling and our election sure. Look at your life. Am I saved? Have I accepted the Savior? Because someday he's coming back. And some people would love to think that when the day of the Lord comes... They will have one moment to say, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm not going to do this anymore. But that's not true. Because it will be instant. In the twinkling of an eye, 
when Jesus comes back. And there will be no time to straighten up your life and take care of your sin and get right with God. What manner of persons ought ye to be? Purge your sin from, purge your life from sin and ungodliness. Because when Jesus comes back, he's going to destroy sin and ungodliness. And if you're living a life like that, you're headed for destruction. But remember, today is here because God wants you to repent. Today is here because he's patient. Today is here because he's long-suffering. And God wants you to live a holy and godly life. He really does. Verse 12 here, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God. What are you looking for? What are you looking for today? You know, we are living a holy and godly life because we are looking forward to something else. We are looking for a new heaven and a new earth. We're looking for something new. In Revelation 21, verse 1 to 3, it says, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them, and be their God. What are you looking for tonight? Are you looking for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness? You know, we live in a world that is so fallen. We live, we're fallen ourselves. And this idea of a new world being created where there is no sin and ungodliness, it's just righteousness, righteous living. That's heaven. That's the new heavens and new earth that we are looking forward to. You know, we get pretty comfortable living here on this earth, don't we? Real comfortable. And you know, we forget that it's not going to last forever. We forget that this world's not going to last forever. And so there's a question for us. The question for us tonight is, do I want more of this? Or do I want more of that? We're looking for a new heavens and a new earth. And you know what? The answer to that question affects the way you and I live. It affects... Our lives in the way of materialism and consumerism, hoarding things up and getting all we can get and putting it in a can sitting on the lid, right? That's what we do here on earth. What are you looking for? More of this? Or more of what's to come? God promised a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. You know, one principle tonight, when the day of the Lord will come, is we will find out that righteousness is eternal. Righteousness is eternal. But sin will be annihilated. And so if you live a righteous life here on earth, you're already living forever. The song says. There's some verses in Isaiah 51 that I'd like to read. Verses 4 to 8. Hearken unto me, my people, and give ear unto me, O my nation. For a law shall proceed from me, and I will make my judgment to rest for a light of the people. My righteousness is near, my salvation is gone forth, and mine arms shall judge the people. The isles shall wait upon me, and on mine arm they shall trust. Lift up your eyes to heaven, to the heavens, and look upon the earth beneath. For the heavens shall vanish away like smoke, and the earth shall wax old like a garment. And they that dwell therein shall die in like manner. But my salvation shall be forever. And my righteousness shall not be abolished. Hearken unto me, ye that know righteousness, the people in whose heart is my law. 
Fear ye not the reproach of men, neither be ye afraid of their revilings. For the moth shall eat them up like a garment, and the worm shall eat them like wool. But my righteousness shall be forever, and my salvation from generation to generation. We're looking for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness forever. God's righteousness will dwell forever and ever. What manner of persons ought ye to be? He says here, the people in whose heart is my law. The people who fear not reproach. The people who don't fear the reviling of men. Those scoffers who come in the last day and say, where is his coming? What crazy people you are to sit around, go to church every Sunday, and go to church on Wednesday evening, and the Lord hasn't come. Is God's law in our heart? Do we fear those people? Do we fear the reproach of men? When it comes to looking for the Lord's return, the day of the Lord will return, will come. The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, and we need to be ready. Verse 14, wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, we have an assignment. Be diligent. We talked about laziness the other, last night. I don't think a Christian can be lazy. Can he? Here we're commanded to be diligent, that we may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. My friends, tonight it's a lifelong effort to be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. That's why he says be diligent. Stay on top of your life. Keep it real with God. Keep it current. We have a responsibility and we cannot expect a reward when the day of the Lord comes if we are living life carelessly. And my plea is with you tonight that if you're living life haphazardly and carelessly, it's not going to work. He says, be diligent to be found of him in peace, without spot and blameless. You know, there's a lot of murmurings and disputings going on in churches today. And it concerns me that we won't be found in peace when the Lord returns. This is a call for us as conservative Mennonite people to be found of him in peace. The Bible says in Philippians 2.14, Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. And Paul's message there was, I don't want to, the disappointment of not being ready when Christ comes back again. And we're spending our time here on earth kicking up the dust and fighting with each other and arguing. The church doesn't have time to risk our souls doing such a thing. Be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. And then in verse 15, he reminds us again that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. The long-suffering of our Lord is our salvation. And you know... Someone said once, one time, and I preached this sermon, and, you know, how was it now? What did he say to me? He said, if it was 10 years ago, he wouldn't have known the Lord. You know, he was telling me about this long suffering of God in his life. You know, where would we be if Jesus would have come 10 years ago? Where would we have been if Jesus would have come 10 years ago or 15 years ago? Or even five years ago, where would we have been? It's the long suffering of God is our salvation. 
And if we have breath tonight, and we love our Savior, and He's coming back, it is our salvation that He's coming back, and we are ready. But the end will not be peaceful for those who are not ready. Let's be reminded of that again. Beware that you fall from your own steadfastness. He reminds us in verse 16 and 17, again, of these prophets and these people that come, and that there is a chance, there is a an option to be led away with the error of the wicked and fall from your own steadfastness. And I don't believe tonight that you're once saved and you're always saved. I don't believe that. Because right here, Paul himself has written, or Peter has written, that you can fall from your own steadfastness. And so for those of us tonight who have made our commitment to Jesus Christ, the warning is for us not to fall from our own steadfastness. Because the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Be diligent. And then I like the last verse here. He says, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It's another assignment for us. You know, we are to grow in grace. And did you know that God's grace does not grow? God's grace doesn't grow. But our experience living in God's grace grows, does it not? That's an assignment for us. Grow in this, experience the grace of God in more fullness and more understanding in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And you'll be ready when he comes back. You'll be ready when he comes back. My prayer for you tonight is that this message is a reminder. It's red and blue lights in the rearview mirror that's telling you that the day of the Lord will come. And where are you at tonight? Are you ready to meet him? Will you be found of him without spot and blameless? Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your goodness again to us this day. And Lord, we're so thankful for the opportunity that this day has given us to serve you. And most of all, Lord, we thank you for this time, this opportunity, so that those who don't know you could come to repentance and learn to know you before it's too late. Lord, we look forward to your coming with great power in the heavens. Lord, we look with expectation. And Lord, we pray that we would be faithful in our work here on earth, that we would be diligent to be found spotless before you, and that we would be diligent warning those around us that the day of the Lord will come. You will come back. And Lord, I just pray tonight, if there's any here that are not ready to meet the Lord, that they would do it tonight before it's ever too late. We pray this in your name. Amen. Let's have a verse of invitation. And tonight, if you're not ready to meet the Lord, he's long-suffering. The next five minutes are here. We'll be here because of the patience of God. And as 